Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. ABTB buddies, I missed a week and I apologize, but I'll tell you why. First, I had a grandson, Preston James, was born on May 11th, and we went out there to be with uh, my daughter, her husband, and Jackson, my other grandson, and Preston, and I didn't do anything podcast-related then, obviously, because I was hanging out with family. And then we um, decided that we want to move to Huntsville, Alabama, and it turns out that uh, I'm still marketable, and I got a couple job offers, and I took one. So I'm doing this from my son's guest rooms. I'm staying in Huntsville while we get the house sold, and there's a lot of moving parts with a new job, selling your house, getting a new grandson, and I fell behind. I thought I always would have enough episodes to spare, but I don't. I will definitely catch up and get better about that, but uh, I do have a new episode this week. It's Jan McInnes, and it's a really good episode, and it's the last one I recorded, so if I don't get some recorded here pretty soon, then you may get another repeat, so just look for that, but if you haven't listened to some of the earlier episodes, I highly recommend it because they're all good. I did want to mention another comedy interview podcast I'm listening to. It's called Breaking Down Bits, which is different than Behind the Bits. It's Breaking Down Bits. Drew Jordan and Brian Gendron talk to comedians about a specific bit and how they wrote it, how they perform it, how it evolved, and all different kinds of stuff. What I really like about this podcast is, first of all, Drew and Brian shut up and listen. That's what so many podcasters don't do. They just shut up and listen. I appreciate that. But the other thing is, is they've got the they've got a set line of questioning, and you just need to listen to the podcast to understand how they format it. But they've got a line of questioning which is very good, but they don't really hold themselves to it. So if a guest goes on a different tangent, then they let them do that tangent. They do bring it back around, and all the questions get answered. But it's a podcast where the hosts don't talk a whole lot and the guest does and it's really really good it's one of those that i will be listening to every single episode because i learn something from every episode and that's what i hope you guys learn from here so check out breaking down bits it's on all the apps you can find them on social media give it a listen if you like this one don't listen to that instead of behind the bits but listen to it as well as behind the bits It's a really good podcast. So I've got Jan McInnes coming up next week. I don't even know because I'm taking it one day at a time, baby. And uh, thanks for listening. Uh, The the numbers are still pretty good and I'm still doing okay. So I appreciate you listening. Share it up and I will see you on the other side of this crazy mess that I've got going on in my life right now. 
Bye-bye. My guest today is Jan McKinnis, and she has been making people laugh for over 25 years, and she gets paid for it. That's a big thing. She's written for The Tonight Show, along with many other late-night TV shows. Jan has written for The Washington Post, The Wall Street Journal, and The Huffington Post. She is a much-sought-after keynote speaker who can talk to groups about everything from finding the funny and change to flourishing from failure. There's a lot more to check out, so make sure you go to theworklady.com, spelled just the way you'd think it is, theworklady.com, to see everything Jan has accomplished and where you can find her perform. Let's talk to her right now. It's Jan McKinnis. All I got to do is click a button there. You know when you get, Hey, thanks for coming on. When you get older, clicking those buttons, it's so much harder to find them. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Thank, thank you so much for being on the show. I took a kind of a deep dive into your career, and boy, you are busy. I try, yeah. <laughs> COVID slowed it down a little bit, but uh, yeah, yeah. I'm very impressed with uh, the way you you get into everything that is humor related, and I really like the way you do it. In this deep dive, I, I'm going to start off a little bit different because you said something in one of your podcast episodes that really stuck with me, and I think it can take us on a little journey to where you come from but i was looking at your episode and they're really neat little episodes the thing i like about your podcast first of all is it's like maybe 10 minutes at the most yeah five five at the most and man there's a lot you're dropping a lot of knowledge in that time so i i really enjoyed it (laughs) and you've got 150 some episodes so i'm probably going to just listen to all of them while i'm driving but the one, one of your last episodes was when you talked about trying out for the last comic standing and mm. actually the, the the two go-rounds with that. And during that, you said something to the effect of, I wasn't really looking to be famous when I started doing stand-up comedy. And I wanted to dive into that a little bit more because a lot of new comics, what they want to do, obviously, is be famous. They want to either get the TV show or fill up the auditoriums or whatever. But in going back into some of the other things that you've written, you have said that you wanted to be a comedian ever since you were young. So being a comedian and not necessarily wanting to be famous, how do you put those two together and make a career out of that? Uh, Scott, um, that is interesting you pick up on that because you certainly not take fame. you got to pick fame or fortune, I would take the fortune. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think I, I, wanted to, I wanted to work in this business. I guess I started out with um, no plan other than be a working comedian and pay my bills and, and it evolved into where I'm making a great living uh-huh. doing the corporate stuff and the keynotes and I don't have to be famous. I, I, I just never, I thought fame would be great. I thought I would, I certainly thought I'd have some more TV shows, but I really right. never tried for them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say, I threw out a few tapes here and there, you know, uh-huh. 15, 20 years ago, but I was doing so well and everything else. And it's funny how, if you just let uh, your career take you and you pay attention, it, it took me in a direction that I didn't even know. I didn't know keynotes existed. Uh-huh. I yeah. didn't even know corporate comedy existed. Right. I knew comedy clubs, and I thought, I remember I'd worked the road really hard. When I moved from Virginia, but started in Virginia, D.C. clubs. Uh-huh. Worked the East Coast quite a bit. And I had a traveling cooler. I had food, and every time I'd haul it into the, the uh, hotel and set up at night. And I was staying with my sister's in-laws one night. And 
and the, the mother-in-law looked at me and she, it was like 1130. I got in I'm tired and I had to get up early for another drive. And I was, and I started later. I was in my thirties and yeah. I got left my day job. And she looks at me and she goes, how long are you going to be doing? This? <laughs> and I remember I said to her, this is my career. This is it. And, mm. and but really stuck in the back of my head. Well, this is, this is right. Do I want to still be hauling this cooler around right. in 20 years? The cooler still works. But so it was nice that I started paying attention to the other stuff. And I knew about corporate comedy a little bit because of my day job. I had had some experience with that. And I, in fact, I was running a meeting and we hired the Capitol Steps to do their thing for the dinner part. Uh-huh. And, I was standing there. I've been working comedy clubs. I, I hadn't left my day job yet. And I, wow, this is pretty cool. And I remember I paid them. And it was a yeah. lot more than comedy clubs. Yeah. And <laughs> it was split by five people. But I thought, there's something here. And I'd ask comedians. They'd say, no, there's just what they call privates, private parties at Christmas time. That's it. And I, oh, I think there's convention work. So I tucked that away in my head and yeah. went on the road. But always looking around, going, ah, I think there's something else here. So that's the short of it. I, I never needed, I never felt like I was pers- every time I make a little effort something else would pull me away to- right. so I really never went for the the fame and I've done a good job nobody knows who the hell I am <laughs> <laughs> I do now I can go on the improv here in LA at Melrose and the new faces and I've lived out here 20 years yeah so. all right <laughs> Oh, that's great. Do you you think that starting in your 30s maybe had you a little bit more centered and you just knew that you wanted to maybe not do what you're doing now and get into something that you actually enjoyed? Well, I I did enjoy the clubs. I I really absolutely was freeing. I had just left an office job after 15 years, so I I did enjoy them. But it did. I'd go home after the clubs, after my set at night, and I'd work on jokes and stuff. The younger comics is a great gig if you were in your 20s because every night there's an audience, you Tuesday through Sunday, that wants to party with you and free beer. And I'd see the younger comics going out and and partying. And I did some of that. But I remember thinking, they don't know what a gift it is to have time to work on your own goals. Because I just spent 15 years in, in a job. And I know what it's like to spend a big chunk of your day commuting and into dc and working for someone else you get home there's no energy left to work for your own goals so uh, i I knew what a gift it was so so it did help me yeah and i had i was a marketing person so i think my marketing skills were better than my act when i started out yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know i caught up but i really had good enough to be polite to call when i called clubs to had, uh, mark ridley up at comedy castle and gave me the nicest compliment once he said i love working with you jan because you're a professional you don't come in and drink up the bar you don't come in and at the last minute and ask if you can get on for five minutes you, you do the time you set when i book you, you do the time you say you'll do you're very professional and so i think i got more work i wasn't always the funniest person but i got work because i was easy to work with and they really liked working with me yeah that's so important and it seems like most of the people that i talk to that mention that i when you say that that's true of you because the bookers will they'll verify it they'll say oh yeah jan she's great easy to work with yeah. i don't have to worry about her being late i don't have to worry about she, her she's, bonus top, she's funny and yeah. she can do the job but there's a, so many there's so much talent out there who is no hasn't gotten anywhere because they 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 don't pay attention to the the emotional intelligence the yeah. the softer skills the things to get along with mm-hmm. club owners and and but their first instinct is to tell them to go to hell if something doesn't work and i think i've burned maybe three bridges yeah really yelled at somebody and screamed yeah a couple times when things haven't gone my way or, or they've done something i didn't think was right 
walk away. Yeah. Just, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to win. Yeah. I'm going to (laughs) win. So that's great. So let's talk about when you first made the plunge. Obviously, this is something you'd been thinking about for since you were young. What, when you finally like did your first open mic or whatever you did, what was it that kind of pushed you over the edge to make you do well, it? I had so many starts and stops, Scott. It wasn't fun. I really, I, when I was a kid, you know, you had to take a day, get a job. I remember thinking that wasn't particularly funny, but I thought. Or nobody thought I wasn't the class clown. Uh-huh. And, but I thought, comedy sounds like fun, so maybe I'll do that. I didn't know any way to do it. Went to college, graduated. I remember the night sitting with my, my parents and family at the restaurant. And I was thinking, now is not the time to tell I want to be a comedian. <laughs> just graduated from college. They just paid a lot of money. So I went into day job. I uh, Finally, after probably eight or nine years, it was in the 80s uh, of the day job, seven or eight years, I, I went up at an open mic. And uh-huh. I killed. I had a great set. Uh-huh. And uh, it was in the 80s, the boom of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> and I was so freaked out by the lights because they're bright. You can't yeah. see anything. You can't even see the edge of the stage. And it was a small club. It was a comedy cafe in D.C. It turned uh-huh. out to be my home club. But I walking down, I left, and I was walking down the steps. The, the professional comedian who was on that night, because he was, he was there to make sure the show didn't sting for everybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> he actually had jokes. <laughs> He walked down, he grabbed my hand, and he goes, please promise me you'll come back. That was, you have to do this again. And oh. I didn't go back for eight years. Oh, wow. I missed the whole, or seven years. I'm like, oh, missed the whole, but I was so freaked out by the lights. I did, uh, I did take a class right around when I was kind of thinking of going up. Mm-hmm. And at the end, we had to do a uh, five-minute monologue. Mm-hmm. And the class was the teacher, it was like one of those open university kind of classes. You just take mm-hmm. a night for free out of the catalog. And, uh, not free, but the catalog. And the teacher's wife and his, his mother were the judges. Okay. And I created my little jokes. I did some of the jokes I think I did at the thing earlier, seven, six years earlier. I did some of those and did some new stuff. And they were just like, mother, afterwards, they came up and said, you have to do this again. Didn't do it. Waited another year. There was the Jay Leno Comedy Challenge. Okay. It was a big challenge in the 90s, early early 90s, I think. And uh, he was trying to find a comedian to put on the show, just a fun gimmick thing. He had comedians to put right. on a new one. So you had to uh, send in a tape to get on. They, they were having uh, every comedy club around the country. And so there was three in, North, in Virginia, Maryland, D.C., and we had to send in a tape, and then they would pick from the tape who got to go on stage, and then from that they would go to the regionals, and nationals. I said it. I didn't know. I'm so I'm so naive. I didn't know that they meant videotape. So I and I didn't. I, I had been on stage, so I walked around my condo reading some jokes I'd written into my mini cassette. Yeah. Right? Like uh, you have to have a mini cassette for this. I remember I those. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. We're all. I mail it in, and I get a call like the next week from the woman at the TV show, and she goes. Hey, we heard your stuff. We want to put you on one of the nights. And I, my first words were, uh, "How many people entered? Because it must have, couldn't have been many. You know, they picked me. She said, oh, we had like hundreds, and we picked you. So I got on. So they said you're going to be in the third night in Virginia. And um, I said, okay. Well, the first night they had the Maryland competition. I and it was on TV, the local news. So I watched it, and they said professional comedians are vying for a chance on the Tonight Show. And I jumped straight out of bed and went. Professional. Oh. <laughs> I'm professional. And so I, I was freaked out. So I practiced with a light in my face. I'd only been on that one time, like eight, nine years ago. Yeah. Practiced everything. Got to think my only goal was not to be the worst. Okay. Oh. <laughs> it's really. I, and, to- and I, I totally it. get that. Yeah. I just didn't want to be the worst. And I watched it. At the, I, 
them and I thought, okay, I, I, I think I can do better than some of these guys. And I went up and had a pretty good set. A woman came up from the audience and said, you got to do this again. The next day in the office, my friend came over and goes, hey, did you catch a newspaper? I said, no, you're in it. Oh, wow. my jokes and I didn't win the contest I didn't but I uh -huh. didn't I was the worst wait another year and finally I said this is it this is it I'm going on stage it was by now 93 or something I can't remember and so yeah it's been like a 10 or 11 year thing went on stage for one last open mic and uh, I went up and I just was killed again I had just great show and I remember I forgot half my act in my head I thought yeah. they're laughing get off stage they're laughing uh -huh. so i got off stage and the mc comes over he's a professional guy and he taps me on the shoulder while watching some of the other comics and I, he goes hey call pat tomorrow i said who's pat and he said she caught your act she books this place she wants to give you some mc work and it, I literally if you've ever had an epiphany in your life i yeah. felt the world change i felt uh -huh. that this is it. I walked out the night and thought, I don't know what I have to do, but this is it. I'm doing this. And changed everything. And then I still kept my day job for a couple of years, and then, but did comedy every night, weekend, all the time for two years. Got in the open mic scene and pretty rapidly got into working. Uh -huh. you know, learned about one-nighters, got my butt kicked in those. <laughs> yeah. You're up with professional comics in a bar. And, you know, it's, but, and I finally left the day job. So wow. it was very, it's not a long-winded answer, but it very many starts and stops. It wasn't like some people just... It and they're launched. That's you know? yeah. That I, I really like what you said there. You didn't want to be the worst because I I didn't start until I was fifty two, and wow. my wife would come with me to these open mics because she's a trooper, and I I always asked her afterwards. The only question I'd ask was I the worst, and uh, she'd say no, and and as long as I wasn't the worst, I knew I could keep going with it, and finally. At, probably after doing it for a couple of years, she finally said, you're getting pretty good. You're closer to the top of the pack now. You're not swimming in the middle. And that, that's when I, I decided right before the uh, pandemic hit that I was going to take a little bit more seriously. And of course, that hit. I'm, I'm doing this podcast. But anyway, I, I really liked your uh, approach to just not wanting to be the worst. And I did, did you do some speaking in your day job? I did for marketing? some, not a ton. Uh, I did some. I did a lot of travel. A lot of. I worked for a, one. It was a five hundred one c three. So I'd speak about okay. benefits of donating that sort of stuff. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So I, I w had some skills. I, I always then and now even comedy and when I did that for my day job, I speak fast. <laughs> That's my biggest thing, but yeah. I, so I had those skills. Uh, my dad always said, if you can make it, if you can make, uh, if you can speak in public, you make good living. He used to say that, and he, he was the CEO of a publishing company. So yeah. I've always remembered that. And uh, comedy just—I uh, didn't know a path. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't have anyone in my family that was a comedian or entertain, even entertainment. And so it was, uh, it was quite a journey. Yeah. So aside from the lights, what, did you feel pretty comfortable be, being on stage? Then I was. Very, just nervous. The lights are, I got over that pretty quickly because um, you have to, and I did so much, so many open mics. And I think the first two years when I still had my day job, I was on stage almost every night of the week or mm. watching comedy. Mm. And I got hired for that first open mic, you know, after the um, guy said, call Pat. I called her. And she hired me for that club. It was A Room, the Comedy Cafe in DC, and to open for Kevin Nealon from mm. Saturday Night Live. It was huge. And so I, I really almost immediately got thrown into paid gigs. 
And so I started learning about MC. And my friend Rob Duffett, who started with me, he started saying, we should look outside of DC and do some MC work and put together a tape, put together a headshot. What's that? That's a picture of your head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know. We just learned all this together. And then I started doing the one-nighters. And I really, those are those bar gigs, those one, one-nighters, if you're not familiar. And they were a little hard for me because I used to want dirtier stick and they people were there to drink and maybe listen to comedy not always right right but but i saw the pros i worked with them and it's sink or swim and i luckily i swam but that was that was a tougher going but i got some big a rooms uh to mc in and gradually move that way great where did your material come from we uh, talk about what bothers us. Kids, <laughs> family, work. The work lady, my website, uh, nobody can spell McInnes, so I thought, ah, I got to come up with something. So I had yeah. a lot of work jokes, uh-huh. and so I put in theworklady.com. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I think that's kind of what bothers you. What Some people sit down and go, I want to just be the, the whatever comedian. I want to be the pick something comedian mm. and do that or i want to they want to just be topical or i try to i started out writing topical jokes about news items uh, that's hard it is. you gotta write yeah. a lot of that you yeah know, because <laughs> l- luckily it's always gonna be a drunk celebrity you just have to change your name yeah <laughs> but they're hard to keep a long act for the clubs but so i gradually switched over to doing but luckily I, I was able to write jokes too that helped and i didn't have as much of a stage presence i was more of a standing there telling jokes mm. a few times i was almost a stephen wright deadpan but uh-huh. that didn't feel comfortable but i never got physical acted out uh, that never i just like jokes i don't like stories i like jokes set up punch Three or four jokes a minute, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah, that's the classic way. Did you ever, this is a kind of weird question, did you ever decide how you wanted to hold the mic? Did you go, did you keep it in the stand at any point? I decided I wanted to hold the mic because the less things that could go wrong, Uh (laughs) the stand, you get there, every comedy club in the country, half of them have crappy stands, you get there and it's a a boom stand instead of something weird. And I thought, you know what? The less I have, I always marveled at magicians because I thought, God, they've got all these moving parts. I just want, I know I can tell the jokes correctly. Yeah. (laughs) And if the mic works, I can hold on to that. So that, so the less I had up there, stool and water, that was about it. Yeah. There's so many, there's so many advances in the audio now. Technically, you could just have a little tiny headset on like the singers have and nobody see it, but... I always feel like the mic and the stand is like uh, Keith Moon from The Who used to say, they used to ask him why he was a drummer, and he said, well, because I have that drum kit between me and the audience, and I I don't have to worry about the audience getting me. And I've always felt like the mic and the stand is my barrier between me and the audience, and that's my little, uh, I guess it's just my security blanket. I moved out of the way immediately, uh, and uh, just hold the mic and yeah i like to hold something i don't want a headset or i yeah. have for some keynotes do the love uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with that but i i really prefer just holding a microphone yeah it's it just seems more natural so yeah. 
that as your act progressed and you decided you wanted to, you started learning about these keynotes and the corporate comedy and stuff like that, there's obvious benefits to that. First of all, you're working during the day most of the time or early evenings versus <laughs> being out till two o'clock in the morning. And after your drinking days are over, then you, it's no fun being there late anymore. That, that goes away. You've obviously built this into a pretty substantial career because not only are you doing corporate comedy but you've got keynotes on just a ton of different subjects even technology which is where i work and how did those start coming about because i've watched some of them and they're funny and yet they it's a learning experience and humor works with everything yeah i think i'm the only comedian who doesn't like working nights and weekends yeah <laughs> so so I did. Um, I actually work in. I've got about three or four keynotes, but I do them in probably ten different we call industries. Uh -huh. so technology. Right. I do a lot of technology industry, finance, healthcare, women's education. I really enjoy explain talking to businesses. There's a lot of things comedians do. We're very um, unique group. A lot of things we do. A lot of experiences I've had that can translate into your personal professional life. Mm, you're right. a nurse or you're a teacher or, uh, you know, principal. So what I do is I like to go up and uh, like my most popular one, and it's probably going to be really popular when we get back on the road. It looks like June is it. I'm booking a lot of stuff for that. Uh -huh. uh, finding the funny and change. Because right. I, talk, I talk about how comedians, we come in, we're in change situations every single week in front of a different audience, different city. And we have weird stuff happen that we have to handle in the moment. Mm -hmm. How do you handle it? And so I talk, I give the people some tips on how comedians handle it. Things that I love being able to transfer the skills I learned as a comedian with a lot of humor into what how you can handle change with humor and how, to, how people can handle it and what, how, what the comedians do. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I really liked what you talked about diffusing tense situations yeah. yeah and that is it's so important and it's funny because i've been in the regular i've been a regular nine to fiver for a long time and the reason why i got into comedy is because i was one of those that could diffuse the situations with saying something funny a little sometimes it's a little sarcastic and sometimes it's just letting everybody know about the elephant in the room so it's not hanging over like a dark cloud and it's, yeah. it's if, if you say it funny everybody laughs and you can go on with what's important in the meeting you're in or yeah. whatever you're doing and i really liked how you put that forth because i think it's something that the way you did it, it it's something that a non-comedian could take and say oh yeah that makes that makes sense because you say right, you right. say go to your sarcastic self and that's <laughs> you know that if you go to that those thoughts are always there you can't really push them away and you can soften them and make them something that actually works and makes the meeting go forward and the beauty with business is no first of all no one's expecting you to be funny so if you are it's good but secondly yeah. you don't have to be comedy club funny there and even if it doesn't work, even if you toss out a little humor, people appreciate that you're trying to lighten the situation. Mm -hmm. They don't get mad at you. They get mad if you're in a comedy club and you're not funny. Then right. you get into trouble. But in business, people appreciate it, and it's got some great benefits. A great way to connect with people and have people find out. You can find out about people by the humor they use. Just start listening if they're mm -hmm. snarky. What kind of frame of mind they're in? Great way to make diffuse tension. Or, uh, changes the energy. Insta you don't have to do a lot. You can do one joke, one funny thing, one funny observation. Yeah. Change the energy in the room. Right. 
and it makes it's a whole new ball game. So I, it's a real business skill. I also talk about actually putting humor in business for sales groups because people want to do business with people they like. Yeah. And you want people to listen to your message. You better try to use a little bit of humor. And I'm thinking for, as we come out of COVID and quarantine, look how much we're all used to um, being entertained. Yes. So now it was important to use humor before. It's really important now because you are really going to lose it, the yeah. audience, and lose the interest. If you don't try to be, again, you're not trying to be a comedian. You're just trying to lighten the mood. Uh, lighten the situation a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It's funny because not only am I in technology, but I'm in sales. I, I, I can definitely commiserate. I, I can, I, it, yeah, it's, uh, I was going to say commiserate because I'm in sales and don't necessarily, uh, after six or 20 years, it's been, uh, it's been a long ride. But anyway, yeah, the using humor and also comedians, well, some comedians, most good comedians have some self-awareness, and they also have a good awareness of the room. And sometimes the room is just you and a client, and sometimes it's you on a Zoom conference, and sometimes it's just you on the phone. And you yeah. can you can pick up on the the way the audience uh, or your potential client or whatever is thinking and what what's important to them just by listening to a few things that they say and just use that. And one of the marketing messages, they say you have to be hit with something like seven times before people take any kind of action. You yeah. Find a way to stand out. You've got to find a way to, to get your message out there and be memorable. And you can do that with humor. So yeah. people, then they want to do business with people who are fun and nice and, and they can approach you and they feel like they can talk to you if you've been using some humor. So uh, it's a huge business skill. I wish I could get the message out there more about this because uh, people are missing the boat. People yeah. And really, again, as we come out of quarantine, everyone on the planet's used to Netflix and being yep. entertained and, and they are not going to put up with uh, boring conventions where they just run keynote speakers through on a, on a conveyor belt yeah. with a message. It, it, you got to have something in there that's a little bit entertaining. Yeah. To get and, people to come and it's funny. I'm not a big media guy, so I'm not, I, I only watch what I want to watch and it's usually, it, it's actually usually not comedy and it's usually not what everybody else is watching. I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a star Wars guy. I'm not a Marvel. Yeah. None of that stuff really works for me. I like real stuff. And I like, I guess what you call chick flicks. I like, the, I, I lay in bed with my wife and we watch all these series that have strong female leads and I like that because it's actual, it's believable. It, you, you, you don't have to suspend reality in order to watch it. I watch that kind of stuff and all my friends think I'm nuts but I love it. And I'm, I'm a murder per show person. Okay, I, I like I those too. I have been a CSI. I've yeah. You know, forensic yeah. files, all that stuff. Uh, oh, my Lord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, People I, say, why aren't you married? I said, because I watch forensic files. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know how the body's going to be hid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not like Grandma and Grandpa on the farm where Grandpa just disappeared. Yeah. You know? they, got, they can find that. Uh, so how did you go into writing for some of the late-night TV shows? I Mostly the Tonight Show, and I've written for it, but I've sold to greeting cards and syndicated cartoon strips and guests on the Jerry Springer show and <laughs> radio, and I know my parents are proud, radio, a lot of radio, you know what, again, by keeping my eyes open um, to opportunities, uh, a friend of mine wrote for uh, radio, a prep service where you, you know, and he'd write jokes for them, and they had hundreds of stations around the country, 
And when I was moving to LA, I called him and said, Hey, could you connect me with them? Because I need some money when I move out there. And he did. And he was very gracious Said you're very funny. And of course, and I had done topical jokes when I started out. So I knew I could write new story jokes. Leno, again, he, at one point he had a fax machine. That's how old it is. Yeah. <laughs> a fax number, you could get that number and fax in to this fax machine. And then you would just be like on the road or whatever. You get your the mail and it would just be a check with a number. You call up his assistant and would say, she go, yeah, that's the tiger joke or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, so that's how you yeah. find out. My first joke was I've been on the road forever and I came home and called her up. I got the check in the mail. I was so excited. And it was a... Um, Super Bowl joke. And, oh, you know, cool. Very exciting. So I didn't sell tons, but I, I sold uh, enough. And uh, greeting cards, again, just networking with people. Networking. If you want to do this, hang out at the comedy clubs, meet the comics, call the radio station in your town and say, hey, they'll always take, what the heck? They can. They don't need to use them. If you write them and see if they use them. I just tripped into all this stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and it worked. So very, very fortunate. I never pursued writing and like a sitcom or something it's funny when you say you know did you ever want to be famous the sitcom everyone do you have a sitcom no that's like saying to somebody who works at ibm are you ceo we're not all gonna get a sitcom and that's not really what i got into for the writing on the sitcom people say oh you write so you get on no that's too much like a day job i don't want to write on it yeah be have to go into an office every day right though i understand they have a lot of good snacks in the writer's room but (laughs) i like free i like freelancing i like that that part of it and i I write for i i don't do a lot of writing now because i'm just super busy with other stuff Uh uh, i have a few big projects that that are on hold that hopefully are gonna re regenerate once once all this is over with uh, some big groups some big uh, big companies but i've written for companies and helped them mm-hmm. you know work removal cream and <laughs> all sorts of fun there's, there's humor in that for sure some of the ads that are going on there's this liquid death water have you ever seen the ads for that must it, be an indiana thing <laughs> no, so a guy from la was interviewing me on his podcast and he picks up this can of liquid death water so it's all over but they're taking this satanic bent about it that you have to give them a drop of blood in, in order to be in their club and get their water too many needles too many i can't yeah. stand needles there's too much of that stuff these days it's pretty genius because it's actually taken off for them and they're doing really well and it's just water in a can i i i don't know how they did it but they did and it was just so funny when he picked it up because he's a clean comic too and i'm like how did that ad appeal to you <laughs> <laughs> because it doesn't fit you at all but yeah it was uh it's funny that some of these like manscaped and dollar shave club and stuff like that yeah. they you can tell that is not just an ad person coming up with that stuff there somebody in the comedy world had to give some input yeah uh, and, and companies yeah i've written for uh, all sorts of companies one or, or just people running their own business that want to punch up a sales letter written for realtors and that sort of thing just mm. I had a little bit of humor, so I, I enjoy it, but like I said, it's busy now. I haven't done a lot of that recently. I, I, I cherry-picked the really good ones. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have friends I'll send off the other stuff, too, that are very good writers. So. Right, right. Now, I've talked to uh, actually several people who do corporate comedy, and I, I get different perspectives on how they got into it and how they approach it. So if a comic has, say, 30, 45 minutes of clean material and they want to approach a company to 
do their annual meeting or whatever. And this is not really keynote so much, but just do some comedy for whatever event that they're having. Uh, How would... uh, First of all, how do you put yourself out there to get that? And you're probably going to have to go back to when you were first doing it. But how does that how does that go about that you actually make a connection with somebody? I think the easiest to get into if you want to start the really associations because there's an association for everyone. There's mm. you know everything from the American bankers to whatever. And it really, when I started doing it, uh, I, I went backwards. I started with um, getting in with. Uh, speakers bureaus and mm. they book you but really they didn't have it this is 15 20 years ago they didn't have any cl- or 15 15 years ago they didn't have any clean women comedians mm. that were funny oh, i had one of them say to me once it's hard to have someone follow you the next year because you're so funny your comedy club funny we can't find anyone out that came out of the clubs that wants you know so right does this sort of thing so bureaus really don't start beating up on them if you don't have any experience because they're not going to book you yeah. they've got hundreds of comedians but so associations what you do and just go to the national like american bankers association or whatever it would be yeah. i don't know there's there literally thousands yeah um and each state has a chapter and you can call there you can, but you gotta look and see if they for the most part they'll have a keynote a lot of times they won't have comedy mm. or they won't have entertainment so you gotta find which ones do entertainment so you're not wasting your time and right. at the time i did a lot of calling i don't really i have an assistant now that does my marketing mm. um and i think getting a presence out there on the internet as well but you know what the, the key i think would be corporate and association groups want to know that you have done this before. The comedy clubs want to see a 45 minute tape. If you want a headline, you've got to show a 40. You, yeah. they, want, they don't believe that you have 45 minutes. Right, right. The, I, I got most of my work for the corporate off of a seven minute tape with probably five jokes. Uh-huh. And it was a splashy sizzle reel. Yeah. Uh, they want to see testimonials from people who did it. And one thing I lucked out doing in my comedy, and again, I backed into it. I was working comedy clubs. I called, I was in New Jersey driving to a uh, club in New Jersey. I called this play, this a club in Iowa and the guy that answered the phone, I said, I'm a comedian. I want to do some work at club. Can I mail a tape in? And he said, well, my partner and I from the club split. He took the club. I do the corporate work. Are you clean? I said, yeah. And he said, uh, send me a tape. I'll take a look. I don't have any women. So I sent him a tape and he called back and said, it was really funny. He goes, uh, what he did, he said, uh, I'll bring you, his name's Keith West, but don't everyone bug him, <laughs> out of uh, Iowa. He's a great guy. But he uh, brought me out, and I said, every Christmas for about two or three years, and he would string together Christmas parties. And I said, I don't care what I get paid for these parties. I want them to commit in the to, in writing in the contract that they will give me a quote, a nice quote saying they loved it. I don't care what, you know, because I need that quote to build, to show that I've done these before. Mm-hmm. So whatever you've done, I think you, people put the cart before the horse. They start calling places. I'm funny. I'm funny. Look at my tape. Well, nobody wants to look at your tape. They really don't. I, no, I, I don't like watching other tapes. No one wants to watch your video until you give them a reason to. So you got to have your sort of your quotes and your I've done these mm-hmm. and, and really have your package together that give them confidence that you're not going to go on stage and get them fired mm. and go on staging because it, it's very different. The, the guy, drunk guy in the front row heckling you might be the CEO who's writing your check. Yeah. So you can't win in a comedy club. You have to win with the heckler. You have to, because you won't get hired back yeah. in, in the in the corporate many times you have to just let it go. Yeah. 
have, have fun, goof around. Right. You can't you can't slam somebody, and uh, and you can't cuss. I mean, you really can't, or you can, but you won't do it that much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But you have to get some good quotes. You have to get your package together, get some clips of you. And don't just say, I can do this clip without cussing. Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't have a clip that shows you're not cussing. I've had that. I've had comics say, here's my clip. And I said, but you say even the word hell or damn. I said, yeah. I said, you probably can say that when you get on. You may be able to. You read the audience. I probably said damn or hell once or twice in 25 years. Yeah. It worked. I knew the audience. But otherwise, you get your get yourself together and start looking like someone they want to hire. Mm. Get your website together. Get your quotes out there. And then start contacting the different groups and, and make sure they're a group that actually does what you do. Mm-hmm. A lot of times there are agendas on the website, there's stuff so you can, it's a very slow process. I guess there's a list you can buy and you do a blast, but mm-hmm. I think you, you'd be better trying to network one-on-one on word of mouth and talk to other people, talk to comics and get in with a comic who want, who's at your level and you're both trying to do it. Then you can switch leads and mm-hmm. such. After you do one, they could do one. You know, right. I've done that with people. Yeah. So. Yeah, I dig that. So, your approach to a gig then, say it's uh, the American Bankers Association or it's a particular bank. Well, one of the nice things about associations is if you do well, they all go back and say, Jan should do our uh, annual meeting. You know what? Yeah. You know, half the time they go back and somebody's uncle is, uh, no, we're going to go with Bill because he's, he's $5 and yeah. Jan's more. So, <laughs> we just got to give him a plate. But, but, yeah. but everyone does have, and go for the bigger uh, states, obviously, the smaller states don't have any money. But start with small. Start with some state, you know, or some city groups. Or start yeah. with, yeah. you know, some your local uh, chamber of commerce or something that you can get on stage and get some quotes and get your name out there and get your practice and get your chops built mm-hmm. before you start just jumping into the big uh, national convention. You don't want that. You want the, the smaller stuff anyway. If the right. price is right, I'll do the small stuff. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so off track there as far as your approach so you you've got this say you're doing it for microsoft and you're one of the things they want is like topical stuff they want stuff that's gonna resonate with microsoft people how much work do you put in putting together a few minutes to get them geared up to say oh yeah i know what she's talking about because i work here more keynotes now than corporate when I did the corporate comedy pretty heavily Mm. I have an interview process I have a list of questions Uh and I'm happy to share that with anyone who wants to send me an email I'm Mm. happy to share that and I don't send them the questions because they'll give you one word answers Yeah. so I just set up a time and I said we're going to take 20 minutes and I'm going to find out about your group and Mm. I I go through and you know ask what their theme is and what are some of their headaches and challenges and what are the things what are they dealing with right now and oh the copiers we've had trouble with the copier so if you can Mm. reference that they don't have to be that funny of a joke but you just reference it and your goal people will go oh she knows us and i do probably i would do when i started out i didn't i had about 40 minutes of material you need about an hour of material mm. i had about 35 40 minutes and then i really it was like oh, okay i'm a fast writer i'm gonna write jokes 20 minutes of jokes for these people uh-huh. and sometimes my act couldn't even follow those jokes they were so good people they keep talking about us yeah um, but uh, yeah, five minutes, you know, a few minutes of just a couple minutes. You know, it's, it's one or two jokes, just so people know, ah, she knows our industry. Uh-huh. She's not just doing a can. For me, now a lot of comics make a great living not doing that. They go into corporate and they don't 
customize at all. They don't. I like it. I like to learn about the groups. And if I do a healthcare nursing group here, I can use those jokes probably and do the next nursing group or modify them. But people just love hearing um, about them. So you got to watch out that when you talk to the committee or the people, because sometimes they give you. Sometimes they'll say things like, "Oh, but this happened, but don't talk about it." You know, don't, don't yeah. tell me that. <laughs> but or they'll say um, they'll tell you stuff like, "Oh, make fun of his divorce, make fun of her hair." No, you wouldn't do that in person. I'm not making. But so you got to watch the information they give you and really weigh it. Is this something that um, that I can have fun with? Only once I think I did an event. It was, oh gosh, it was great. It was killing when I started. Uh, and they made a funny product. I won't say what it is, but it was, uh, and I wasn't even making that much fun of the product, but it was, it was a funny product. And, but the CEO was glaring at me, just glaring. And the place was exploding just, and finally, after about a couple minutes, I went into my act. Yeah. It turns out he was Italian. He didn't understand the, the humor and joking about the company. Oh, and I wasn't okay. mean. I wasn't doing mean company stinks kind of stuff, but he didn't think he, he took the product very seriously. Yeah. So, you know, that my, my bad because I didn't understand that and I just took what the committee said and, and I should have really dug a little deeper and, mm-hmm. you know, two jokes in, I probably should have just switched. I got at one point where the, uh, what do you call the centerpiece was between me and him, so I yeah. couldn't see him. That didn't work, you know, so uh, whatever. He wants me lose some. Oh, some people just don't get it. That's okay. Yeah. Now, one of the things I noticed about you is you have a. One of the best press kits I've seen, the they call it the EPK or your media kit. You've got a lot of great content in there. Did you put that together yourself, or did you get help with oh, that? Oh, did you see it on my website? Yeah, it's on your site. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, I'll have to look. I don't know. I've You've actually got it in so sections. You've got different. Oh. You've got different sections, oh. and I think some of it's for keynote, and some of it's for stand up, and it, it's really nice how you put it together. Oh. And I just well, that, that's one thing that's usually the last thing a comic thinks about doing is the headshot and the press kit. And obviously, if you send that along with all your recommendations and all the things that you've done, that obviously has to have some weight. But yeah, I just thought yours was really good. Oh, thanks. Thanks. My marketing background, again, kicks in. But the, the thing, the comics, yeah, and, and you forget, I was lucky that I started before um, Facebook and social media. So my yeah. crappy sets are not nowhere. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> on the internet. Uh, hopefully. If you're a comedian now and you start out and you've got some stuff up there that's and you want to get into corporate and you're cussing or whatever, you got to, even if you have a million hits, if you want to move corporate, they're going to find that. And there's no amount of, don't worry, I know I won't say it, mm-hmm. that, that you can say because they're not going to believe you. And, yeah. I, and frankly, I wouldn't believe you if you yeah. got it. Because if you say it and they go ahead and later you go, well, I had it on my website and the meeting planner is going to get fired and they don't have a like to stand on. So anything that could hurt you, you, now you have to look at stuff that could really hurt you. You didn't yeah. have to do that when I started out. But now, what not just what can help you, what can hurt you. Right, right. Now, going back to club days, you having a clean act like you did and the clubs, they want they obviously want funny but sometimes you get into a situation uh whether you started emceeing that i'm sure you did some feature and then you did the headlining Mm -hmm. you get into a situation like maybe if you're the feature and you're stuck between two completely filthy people and you come out how do you overcome that because sometimes they expect the they expect it to keep going like that my biggest bit of advice my biggest bit i had this i was headlining a club once and um, 
Albuquerque and the comic ahead of me, the feature actor, we started the week out by saying, I want your job. And the club owner said, Jan's clean. So he goes, the club owner wants me to be cleaner because and I said, do, do your own thing. Just, I'm not going to tell you to be clean. I'm yeah. not going to tell you. Anything. So he went up and proceeded to be as filthy and as, and he was doing what I was just getting the audience riled up and yelling yeah. and getting them to shout back. And I went out and, and followed it every single night. And the last night he goes, I don't get it. He goes, I'm throwing everything I got at him. You, and you're still following me. He's basically saying, I'm trying to make you, yeah. so you can't follow me, yeah. which I knew he was. Right. And I looked at him, I said, do your own thing. Just yeah. do your own thing. They will see that what, how good you are. Mm-hmm. You'll be funny. You'll be unique. You'll be you. People are paying for you. If you cuss, I tell comics, if you cuss, if you're really dirty, you're going to do material like that, but you're going to find a different venue than I will. But, and also just make sure there's a punchline before it is not a punchline. So make, make sure you find that. But, be you people are paying for you so you may if you're going to follow dirty acts you may end up bombing yeah. some more i had to follow a guy that was humping the the, the bar stool and, uh, <laughs> we got one of those in our town and i went out i know and, and the bodies loved it and, and i and there's one well-placed line i just walked out and looked and said i was gonna sit on that and, yeah. so I up, and then i was going into my act so but you know, a couple times when i follow people i've had I have maybe two mean jokes. I'd have to go out to get this audience settled down and just go at the loud mouth. Yeah. So two jokes. I'm thinking, I hope you don't want a third one because I don't got it. <laughs> just to get them to know I'm not afraid of you and I'm not going to take this. Isn't you got to be just be. Don't try to don't try to get more energy if you're not. Don't right. try to be quieter. Don't try to be dirtier. Don't try to be less dirty. You know, be you. And mm-hmm. you're gonna. And if you're good, if you got good material, and you've been doing this, you're gonna. People are gonna see you, and and they'll eventually book you and put you in the spot that you should be in. And, yeah. And, with the people you should be with. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. I, I I don't like to talk about my own sets, but we're our our club, the local clubs right by Notre Dame University here, and we would. It, it's really funny because our open mics were on Tuesdays, and sometimes we would completely fill the club with Notre Dame students, and which is oh. nice for an open mic because you're actually talking to people, but the. The comedians, the local comedians here, most of them are pretty filthy, but they protect me. And I, I was doing a joke, and I said crap or something like that. And that's probably the strongest word I have in my whole act. And the one of the people, one of the young ladies from Notre Dame, there was, she said, "You, you can say shit." She just yelled it at me. And one of my comedian friends was very close to her, and she said, "No, he doesn't do that. Calm down." <laughs> And I was just, and even though they all they all do the stool humping and all that kind of stuff, they yeah. they, they know who I am, and they were supportive of me. On a couple of occasions, a corporate event where one one time this guy yelled something, he came out of the bathroom and yelled something, and it gave me a chance to stop because I wasn't doing well. Uh. <laughs> and I stopped and I said, "If you were in a comedy club, I could go back at you with that, but I have a contract that says I can't." be dirty yeah and it really changed the show didn't go that much better but afterwards all the people were talking to me yeah and then i called the agent and said man they want they need a magician or something if they want clean comedy they don't want clean comedy yeah they need something that is interactive and the guy said what are you talking about the ceo called and said he loved you so Uh the only person in the room that i had to impress was that guy but because it gave me an opportunity when the guy yelled i just took a whatever in the bathroom I was able to jump in and say, I can't say anything because yeah. I have to be clean. And they were shocked that there's a contract that said I had to be clean. But sometimes you get an opportunity to jump in and say why it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. You, 
you know, put the eye bomb in some clubs that want dirtier, but dirtier comics. Certainly, I've worked clubs where I know the guy's funny, but he's so dirty. And then I worked a New Year's Eve gig with him once, and he had to take he had to take the F word out of everything and he could not follow me. Yeah. And he said afterwards, he goes, I couldn't follow you, Jen. I, yeah. I, I had to take, I just water my act down so much. And I said, what did you say? Yeah. <laughs> uh, said, we had this New Year's Eve gig. Yeah. Yeah. It's just be funny. And if you come from, I, I particularly, personally, I cuss like a sailor and my, my, my phone finishes. If I type the word F and you know what it's going to say. So that, that's just the way I, I am but my the way I look on stage I'm like super tall I'm six five and I look like either your basketball coach or your pharmacist and oh, it just doesn't yeah. look if I go into a if I go into an f-bomb tirade it just doesn't fit me and so working clean is just easy it's actually easier for me because I know I don't have to say those things and saying in front of a lot of people just makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable for me also I, I want of my friends and family and, and co-workers and whatever to come out and enjoy it and not I don't want to be embarrassed I just don't get into the sex jokes and that but again do be you because people are paying for you yeah. if that's the way the com- you are as a comedian as a person I mean I, I cuss too I don't always you know I stub my toe I cuss yeah, yeah. but uh, on stage I just think it's funnier it's more creative to find the punchline and to get people to make the connection you mm-hmm. have a sex joke you just don't have to be graphic about it yeah. make the connection in your head and oh i know what she's talking about right i have a lot of those jokes and, and you can do them anywhere because yeah. <laughs> you know corporate or club or whatever so you've got more venues open to you if you're clean but yeah again, you gotta be, you gotta do what you think is funny yeah uh, no and you'll doubt. sell it if you think it's funny you'll sell it yeah you know? yeah no doubt but have you ever worked with mark riccadonna no. Huh? Okay. He's commenting here. He's he's the interview that comes out tomorrow. But he's you you probably can't see it from where you're at. But yeah. But he's he's an East Coast guy and uh, very funny. And he's he, he does acting and producing and stuff like that too. But he said he, he respects the fact that you can work with with the blue comics and uh, still keep your head above water. So that, that's that's the gist of what he said in about four messages. But yeah, he's he's a really nice guy. But I wanna I wanna go back. We're to wrap it up. I want to go back to that little podcast I listened to about the last comic standing because there's a little bit more to it. You stood in line first and then decided that you didn't want to do it after you saw the paperwork, but then you were actually asked to do it and did well, but didn't go forward. One of the things you said after that was it didn't really upset me and I didn't get all that disappointed because it wasn't necessarily where I Um, needed to be. Yeah. Yeah, Not on your radar. Yeah. And I guess... The approach that you take, I really respect the fact that you take that kind of approach because some people, some people have quit comedy just because they didn't get through on their audition somewhere or in a, some other comedy contest and stuff like that. And I, I, if you were to give a new comedian advice, they're at the point where maybe they're getting ready to feature or something like that, and they come up with something that could be a potential disappointment like that. How would what what advice would you give somebody that just called you and said, "Jan, I'm going to quit comedy because this happened to me"? I'd say first of all, check your goals. What is something you wanted? Mm-hmm. Something you really want? I didn't fame was would be nice it wasn't something on the radar i think i got a little turned off of it when i was out here in la and somebody who had been on the tonight show 
a week later, a friend of mine saw him uh, selling uh, in Target, fill, having people fill out credit card applications. <laughs> uh, well, my goal with comedy was to do it, and then it was to do it where I had a career, like a, a regular life. I could buy a house. I could have nights and weekends off. I could, you know, go to it as a job. And shockingly, I found that, and I had yeah. no idea the keynote even existed, but I found that. Yeah. What if, you know, if your only goal is to get five minutes on Tonight Show, and I remember thinking uh, when I'd been out here about a year, I could spend 20 years trying to get five minutes on the Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. But if that's your goal, work your ass off to get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, get used to being told no. I mean, right. I was Rosie O'Donnell, I think I read years ago. Some, someone said, what would your advice be? And I'd say, quit now. Because if I can make you quit, it takes to stay in comedy. And I like to say, yeah, stick with it. Pick out what it is you really, what can you put up with? If you want your five minutes of fame and you're willing to waitress to do it until you're 50 and have that, right. that's what you want. Do it. But you don't get discouraged because it's also so subjective and connections. And I mean, I've seen people on these late night shows that are not funny and they don't have good sets, yeah. but they have the connection or they have the look or they have the whatever they got to get on there. Mm-hmm. Use whatever you got to get on there expect a lot of rejection but also pay attention is there some other way you can fulfill that sort of comedy thing without if you really can't get your tonight to a spot or whatever Hmm. what else can you do to fulfill that right yeah, the science show spots don't mean as much anymore. <laughs> so yeah. No, I, no, I just saw an uh, interview with Paula Poundstone, and she said, you know, back then it made you some, you, uh, you were made. Uh, but now, yeah, there's so much that, I, and I've never had a corporate ever anyone say, we can't use you because you aren't on Comedy Central. You know, now, yeah. one booker that would never ha- headline me because I wasn't on Comedy Central, and I'd have, I stopped working for, for them because. The headliners are so bad, and I, yeah. they can follow me, and I'm like, I know I don't have any credits, but yeah. I know I can do, you know, this person's been on Comedy yeah. Central, but yeah, I can't work for it like yeah. this. Yeah, now you're fighting against uh, YouTubers. The, they did one funny viral video that lasted three minutes, and then they get booked to headline and do 60, and it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what happened with, when I was doing the club. Sitcom stars would think, well, summer's off. I'm going to go do 60 minutes of comedy. And these road comics eat you up because they're, yeah. they don't, first of all, they're pissed off that you're, yeah. you're getting more money and you're getting, and people are out there really expecting. If you're famous, you got about, you got no time. You better be funny off the bat. Yeah. If you're like me, you got about 60 seconds. Yeah. No, I, I take that back. If, if you're like me, unknown, you got about 60 seconds to be famous and to be funny. Mm-hmm. If you're famous, you got five or 10 minutes to be yeah. funny because they like you already. They're yeah. here. They like you already. But if you're not funny in five or 10 minutes, and I've worked for stars who, who are, right. then people get mad. I think these YouTubers are going to be, some of them may be able to make it over to the, to yeah. the comedy side, but some of them are just going to try to make a quick buck. Yep. You're going to be flashing the pan and realize it's a, it is hard to hold someone's attention. That's why we start open mics of five minutes and three minutes. Yeah. Because to hold someone's attention for 45 or an hour, it is hard. Yeah. And yeah. so don't just try to make a quick buck on it. No you doubt. Know, stay in it for the long haul. Yeah. I've really enjoyed talking to you today, Jan, and I think you dropped some great knowledge. I'm using that young terminology, dropping knowledge. <laughs> and that's part of my act, too. I call my wife, my bae, my boo, and my shorty uh, all in one bit. Just, yeah, it's so the young people know. Yeah, and uh, and uh, gives them something to laugh about. So where can people find you if they want to either book you or just find out what you've done? Oh, uh, go to my website, 
theworklady.com, theworklady.com, and feel free to also uh, jan at theworklady.com. Send me an email. I'm happy to chat. I always uh, enjoy talking with other entertainers or would-be entertainers or whatever. Yeah. Great, great. It's been great having you on, and I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jan. Uh, thanks, Scott. Take care. Mm-hmm.